0: And I've been like since you know you asked. I'm I'm kind of imagining myself literally in a in a bog, kind of clawing my way around through through bog.
1: I always think of John Hurt <laughs> <Through>. an Alien.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- those that too.
2: Hello and welcome to What Two Buildings Do All Day, a podcast about architecture and the lives we each live in the company of buildings. I'm Emmett Scanlon, and this week I speak to four great architects who individually or as part of a group have been identified as the ones to watch or part of the next generation as emerging or rising stars. I'm curious about those labels, and while it is very difficult to argue against supporting architects at specific stages of their practice, I wanted to know more about what these architects thought about that state of emerging and how it's impacted on them as people and their work as architects. Norella Breen exhibited work at the Venice Biennale in 2018, and was noted by the Architectural Review as the emerging architect on the island in their recent Irish edition. Andrew amore and his colleague in both AND group, Jarek Adamschuk, was awarded the Next Generation Bursary recently by the Arts Council. Jennifer O'Donnell is half of Platon Bio studio, based in Berlin, and the duo have won awards for drawing in Berlin and Ireland and exhibited at the Irish Museum of Modern Art. And finally, Tom O'Brien, whose work has just recently been long-listed for the Mies van der Rohe Award, was also recently jointly identified as a rising star, awarded by the professional body of architects in Ireland and featured in the Irish Times. To start the conversation, I asked each architect to begin by talking a little bit about this idea of position-taking or having a place or position in architecture, and to describe a little bit about how they begin or start a project. And first to speak is Tom.
1: I mean, this really pragmatic answer, I get a client and we have a chat and we tease something out. I'm like, you mentioned position there. I don't often, uh, I kind of get confused about position. When people say you have to have a position and what's our position? I I don't think I necessarily have one. It it kind of flip-flops all over the place. I mean, I have desires, I suppose, of things that I, Trying to communicate, but I don't come to a project with um, an agenda. Really, I try not to. I think I don't think I'm clear-headed enough to have a position. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you tease it out with a client. I mean, in the work that I do, you tease it out with a client, and you're trying to uh, fulfill their desires, I think, and kind of hopefully some of me comes through in that as well or there's enough of a connection between between us that something decent comes out of it. Mm.
2: Mm. But when you talk about working with a client just to tease that out a little bit more say for example on a house and obviously a house is a complex beast between and it's a collaboration between you and the client but you're also referencing other things beyond what the client may need pragmatically or the site or the place or something. I mean, you're referring to other architectures or yeah, histories fair, or, fair.
1: or, or, or Lo- Loads of references. Yeah. Yeah. And that, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Fair point. And there's a lot of references in what I do. And so that comes out of the books, things I see around things that I get a bit obsessed with maybe. And I guess, um, I, I think I often misunderstand those references and then things get like weird kind of stuff can come out of my bad translation of something good. <laughs> There's a kind of a a drop in communication maybe across them or, or like, like when I reference things, I'm trying, I am, I'm not like pulling them off Instagram. I'm looking at old plans and things and trying to actually understand what that other architect was. I, I, yeah, sometimes that, and then sometimes I just like it, you know, or it seems to make sense for a particular project in, in terms of what the context of that, whatever that ex- extension or, or whatever it is might be, it might it might work in some way
2: for that. Yeah. And Norella, in your work, what kind of things are you weaving, kind of, or pulling together at the start of or middle of a project?
0: So back in, when I was in college, in first year, Dermot Boyd set a a task, he was teaching history and theory, I think at the time, as to what was our position. And that was very confusing for a first year student. Like the word position is just very, very strange uh, thing to think about. And I would say... I would totally agree with Tom. It's really important to not have clarity, and but that I I guess that is a position in itself that that confusion. But you are kind of in search of something, or you're moving towards something, and um, but not not a manifesto. I think I think it gets dangerous when it things get really dangerous when you start turning things into manifestos because it, it, it's like you're you're declaring a position and actually you don't really know anything you're only at the very beginning of something um so what do I think about and what do I weave I guess obviously client clients needs is really important and the site is really important like trying to grasp a sense of place is really important things like the sun I think my particular focus is is light and that's the backbone that I've chosen to pursue along with many many other things but yeah trying to kind of seek out the potential of natural light and in particular the sun kind of connects your practice to something cosmic and makes you feel small and makes what you do feel important and and long and ancient and future proof and um and then also there's many references I you know I collect books like like a lunatic (laughs) I've still way too many books I like my my if I had a new year's resolution this year it was to stop buying books because I'm just um and in a way the books are kind of as long as I have a book in my library it's kind of it feels like it's in my brain like even if I'm not reading it and looking at it a lot and also like Tom said I think yeah it's so important to understand things to kind of appreciate the other architects who've gone you know live their lives and in pursuit also of something and to kind of unpick what they were interested in spend a lot of time hanging out in really good buildings if I can for as long as I can and I learn an awful lot by doing that um
2: Jennifer maybe the same question to you I mean you guys describe yourself as a drawing practice so is does drawing play a fundamental part of where you guys start your work and where your work emerges from
3: yes and no I think so we, we, we focus on drawing as projects 50% of the time and then buildings the other percent of the time. What I guess has happened is that due to the time it takes to make a building, we've made a lot more drawings in the last three years since we started the practice than we did buildings. So we, and we did that purposefully in a way in order to, we thought it might move along our ideas and our, our positions and architecture quicker if we, if we work through those things through drawings as projects alongside buildings as projects. So I guess I need to answer the question a little bit more towards drawings and towards buildings, even though we're, we're, we build as well. So I guess with when, where we start with ideas actually often comes from the project before in that the review process for us is really important. Um, it's almost like when you're in college and you have a brief set and that is of course the main priority but then you have your other uh focuses or priorities on the side which are about I want to learn how to do this thing I want to push this process forward or this idea and and we test those things through the projects that are appropriate for that and then hopefully we get it right sometimes we don't uh, so this is a drawing project or a building project and then at the end of it there's this there's this period of reflection uh, where the work has been moved on. We hit the thing hopefully that we wanted to hit and usually we're, we're kind of over it at that stage. And, and that's the moment where the idea comes for the next project that might not exist yet or ideas, if that makes sense. So then sometime later, a project lands on the desk and we go, ah, yeah, it's, so that thing we thought about at the end of the other thing, that's what this might apply to. And then, and then we off, off we go in that direction, but I find yeah, I guess to summarize, it's definitely that, uh, that period of reflection after the, the energy and the intensity of producing a piece of work that allows us then to see where we went, where we got it right, where we went wrong, where, we're, where, we've, where we've moved on, actually, and what the next step might be. And then that's kind of a palette that we can, uh, can use or open up when, when something new lands on the table.
2: And Andrew, the same question for you, um, you're, you are gathering very particular and often complex strands of, let's say, the natural built ecological world into your work from from the outset. It's situated in, in, in a kind of a conversation about that. Does that influence almost everything you do or how have you how have you guys started to structure your work? around and and I suppose the kind of let's say guardianship and the management of development of kind of a practice yeah. around the sort of core ideas that you guys are are, are, are declaring as, as essential to your your thinking and action
4: I suppose when we met I mean we all studied together in college so we we would have worked together previously we kind of unusually the the, the, the two UN reports which had come out in 2018 the First, which was IPCC uh, special report on one point five degrees Celsius, and then in April of the following year, it was the IPBES report. And kind of a conversation about those things led to a, a kind of a broader conversation about you know how do you how do you deploy architectural intelligence in a way that can address those issues. And so from the start, we sort of consciously decided in a sense to avoid images and avoid avoid visual references. And I suppose to start with we focus primarily on on language and words and and reading and we and writing at the same time as well. So we would kind of we would form pieces of writing, not, not as a position in architecture, because I kind of agree, I do agree with with you know the kind of assertions that the Thomas and Iran made but the purpose of that I suppose was to define what we thought were the ambitions of the work that we were doing or, or the kind of priorities that we should bring to, to architectural practice or you know what, what what is within what is within the scope of an architect you know to address these issues so to start with it was always about language and I mean, we still talk about language quite a bit you know I mean the work we did in in Lock Ray. Um, for the IF competition, you know we spent a lot of time talking about you know how do you talk about how do you talk about animals in a, in a serious way because biodiversity was sort of central to that to that project and what we found was that you know you have to kind of find a very particular way of speaking to people about these issues because very quickly you can kind of just collapse into a conversation which maybe isn't seen as how do you put it as um not, not that it's not important, but you know, it kind of seems, also or something, or, or nice to have. And in terms of that particular project, we were trying to find ways of prioritising that particular concern, which is what the installation was all, was all about, I suppose. And it was about trying to create an experience which would allow a conscious appreciation of the issue. So, so language is really important as we started to kind of engage in maybe more spatial work, thinking about something which. Is experiential and, and can kind of allow the the individual experiencing that kind of uh, spatial episode to h- how we put it, kind of actively produce knowledge about that particular issue with respect to the biodiversity crisis and and the project in Macaré. That's kind of precisely how we how we were thinking. But then I suppose a lot of the work we do now as well is primarily, I mean, kind of like Jennifer I mean, refers to to their work as a. Uh, a drawing practice i mean a lot of the work we do is drawing and it's trying to find ways of drawing things to kind of understand kind of the complexities of a particular you know with respect to the project that we do with that we're doing now which we were fortunate enough fortunate enough to kind of get get funding from the from the arts council finding ways of drawing to kind of figure out ways of thinking about you know ecological systems and climate change and how can you draw? How can you draw in a way which can actually communicate the kind of relevance of that issue to, to architectural practice?
2: I'm very curious about this, this, this um, word, which actually I used kind of casually, maybe in my opening question, which is position, which I know is loaded, and I, I know it means very certain things. But you've all reacted, or three of you at least, have reacted to that as being Norelli used the word dangerous, that that declaring,
0: Manifest, or, yeah, yeah,
2: adopting. Uh, Manifesto, sure.
0: not not position. yeah. Because can we
2: tease that yeah. out a little bit? Because I think that um, I think sometimes positions happen to you whether you like it or not. And I imagine that that like in part of the conversation that we are engaged within within architectural discourse and practice mm-hmm. and publicity and publication is that positions are either implicitly or explicitly assigned to to you depending on your stage of practice and also depending on your work. And how do, uh, so? How do you f- how do you feel about that? I mean, is it is it Is it a big deal if people sort of put you in a certain kind of place or what's the,
3: I, I, well,
0: I mean, yeah, I, not really. I I suppose what I, what I find interesting is that, that Dermot's question in first year beginning architecture school, that that would be the key question through practice. What is your position and that you're always in pursuit of it, but it's never attainable really, you know, and if if you if points of reflection, I think it's essential. I think it's essential to good work to be questioning yourself in that way, and um, but still be be working towards something, but not necessarily being able to define it. I think um, making a statement at some point, like I think it's useful to give yourself the freedom to go back on it when you have gone past it, and um, but these moments of reflection. Are probably useful are these little full stops so to kind of state what your practice is for you and like the likes of Andrew, you know, it it probably makes sense when there's four people that it makes sense when there's four people that um that you would you would kind of um come to some um collective um, consensus or point of reference yeah. You know, but I, but I'm just one person, so, so yeah, I'm just constantly asking myself that question.
2: You you raise an interesting point about that 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 you know we have a variety of of kind of practice structures as well. There's two solo practitioners, a couple, and then a quartet. So does that do you think that that influences this question of of how you're viewing your own work and how you're kind of collectively forming a position or forming a set of ideas that? get worked on throughout the practice do you think it's maybe different in different kind of st- practice structures
1: for, for me I suppose I'm When when you were talking about, like I was kind of writing down my own take on that or, or trying to come up with it I mean I think personally I mean I I try and avoid a kind of utopian kind of prognosis like this kind of that's what I wrote down there, uh, like this idea that the architect can kind of offer a prognosis for how to sort out the world. I'm really wary of that. I think I, mean, I think we still teach it and I, I find it yeah. like it's not proper, it's not mm. useful ecological thinking I think. I think it's like little small steps and kind of moving like in, in kind of left or right as opposed to into the, uh, I'm I'm quoting the left and right there. That's uh, Kafka, this report to an academy. It's a text I always kind of, it always sticks in my head of this ape who is like uh, pulled from the jungle and he's asked about freedom. He's like, lads, like for me, freedom was getting out of the cage, you know? (laughs) You know, and I'm not, I'm kind of paraphrasing that. I'd recommend anyone to, to read it and read it properly. But I, I like that kind of thinking more so. That kind of like, not a good word I came up. I heard recently is subaltern, which is kind of like, which ties in with that and ties in with things like minor literature and minor, minor architecture maybe. So I don't know if any of that makes any sense. But I don't have a a, a way of solving. I don't like. I don't see. Like it's practically impossible to know to know the world now which isn't the same as not, as not desiring to know the world, but we, the idea of a prognosis of where we go next is just seems kind of ridiculous. Uh, And like, like architects seem still kind of fond of, I think there's a kind of a a false consciousness within architecture that we, that we, that we, that we, we we can do that. You know, uh, I don't think it's our place. I think, To to extend it, like, I mean, we still talk, I mean, to give a kind of a, a, where that manifests, I mean, we still talk about the public good and how we, you know, like how we're not getting to sort, you know, to give the public what they need. And I'm like, the public don't fucking want us. (laughs) And that's their right. Uh, You know, so we all talk about why we're not getting public work. I'm like, they don't, like, if they don't want it, they don't want us. And the things that I... Chasing an architecture, I can, I can probably do in uh, without public work. I've jumped onto another topic here, kind of. Okay. (laughs) But anyway. And yeah, that's what happens
2: in a conversation. uh, It's okay. Yeah. It's not an an exam. It's all right. I said
1: at the start I wasn't clear-headed, so there you go. No, no.
2: Not clear-headed, but sure-footed, or something. It's
1: like a it's an ecological map <laughs> of something.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I I I think that's I mean we are we are yeah it is a, it is a big question I suppose and a big topic about like access to work and I suppose public uh, desire let's say for architecture and I suppose architects who might make it. But wh- I mean, one of the th- one of the reasons we're kind of gathered here today is to talk about this this sort of question of. Um, practice and the stage of practice you guys might be at and um, it will tie into that that question of of support and and access to work uh, at some point in the conversation but all of you have been identified internally externally under peer review whatever process you want to to be a group of practitioners who, who fall under that umbrella of young or emerging which are quite different things i suppose one is to do with your age and the other is to do with maybe your particular form and value of practice at whatever stage it happens and I'm very curious about that those words and how they apply to to you guys and what you think of them I mean obviously they have benefits because you've applied for and have been supported get awards funding or whatever but do you think there's kind of pros and cons between being considered an emerging architect does it propel you forward but also hold you back because it implies somehow you're not ready or Jen?
3: yeah I mean um Thought about it a lot the last few days, and of course there is the the kind of frustrating element to it of uh, we can't wait to see what you will do, kind of when you're a grown up. But so I thought about that, and that that is of course the kind of cynical phrasing of it, which I don't want to lean too much on. But there is this other thing about like emergent uh, or emerging as an adjective that you're you're between one state and another. Of water and air, or or you're in an in-between kind of phase, like in this kind of amoeba like bubble. And I find or I I take it that while being in this bubble or this phase, we have a a freedom or a flexibility that maybe won't exist when we have emerged, if that makes sense. So I I we try to use this, this time of being classified or stamped as emerging to give us leeway to 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 explore and to change direction that kind of we've moved into a phase and now at the moment we're focusing on on drawing and that's that's very much our interest but we're not yet pigeonholed into a foreseen outcome and so I kind of hope to stay in that phase for as long as possible, really, because it allows us to work laterally and think laterally before, before this, this pressure to finally emerge as something, which maybe we, I don't know if we'll ever come out of this emerging phase, kind of don't want to, but yeah, I guess that's my, my, my positive take on it, that it allows, it, the, the labeling allows for a freedom outside of the expectation that's that's kind of slammed onto it as well
0: yeah I'd agree with the expectation I think it's kind of an unfair pressure and I kind of like if I could do what I'm doing without without being watched or you know and be free to make mistakes and embrace them and it does it that does worry me a little bit having that naivety that Jen is talking about, like, it's really positive, really great thing. When you've the pressure of being watched, it's kind of, I don't, I don't, I don't really like that. I, I would like to be like, because when I do think of the word emerging, I like, <clears throat> you're emerging from something. And so you think, I think about where am I? And I've been like, since, you know, you asked to, I'm I'm kind of imagining myself literally in a in a bog, kind of clawing my way around through through bog.
1: <laughs> I think of John Hurt and Alien. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, th- those that too. But I kind of like the idea of you know tunneling your way around through peat in the dirt and not not being seen and maybe not breaching the ground is kind of maybe that would be a nice place to be to practice also you know
2: but do any of you have any of you kind of consciously enjoy this notion of i mean jen you presented some positive aspects of it this this notion of being identified as being emergent and enjoy that expectation and enjoy that kind of label or
1: yeah no i'm grateful i'm grateful for it i mean it is people sitting around and going okay there's something going on there and I, I I mean particularly this year I don't want to be in a vacuum and and it's nice to be noticed <laughs> like it it's fraught yeah I, I totally agree with the guys it is fraught with maybe a few anxieties but um it's part of the game like as well you've got to put yourself out there and you we do I I think by an large Arch architect's do like being noticed we are it is the form of expression and there is ego in it if i I assess myself anyway which and the aunties and uncles like it you know like like it it, it communicates to people that why you're such a weirdo (laughs) as well um and you know it's it's a certain respectifying like the thing in the times was really nice like you know uh yeah, no, it was no bad it's no bad thing. It's not it's not the worst thing about architecture to be to be um, when you work hard at it to to get a slap on the back.
3: Yeah, I I I think mm. it's just the 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 thing of it being tied to use that's a bit frustrating, that the kind of you're not there yet, but you know, we're looking forward to when you get there. But I mean Tom is definitely right. The mm. what what that labeling or that attention gives you is is kind of, of course, support and courage and uh, hope and the the assurance that uh, you know what you're doing isn't like completely incompetent or idiotic or no one cares and what are you doing? Just go back and work for someone else. So I'm I'm incredibly grateful for that because I'm not sure that that Johnny and I could work the way we're working at the moment on the kinds of projects that we're working on if there was if there was no feedback if there was no responses from any other people to is what we're doing worth it is it valid at all should we continue on this path that is obviously you know exhilarating and and fascinating for us and also exhausting um and really you know you burn out quicker I think when you're trying to establish something on your own so of course as soon as you have that that support behind you it it makes everything a little bit more easy
4: yeah I think I think you know we're really enjoying it the the four of us and you know one thing really leads to another you know like having support from any one particular award or grant really opens up massive opportunities and i think you don't really realize that until you actually you know you you get something and then quite quickly you realize how you can get other things um which is something you know as a student you kind of think "How, how could i how could i you know go in that direction but yeah we're we're quite grateful as well because i suppose you know we kind of asked whether the conversations we were having kind of fitted within the context of, say, with respect to the Arts Council grants, which, which we've received, you know, we were uncertain whether the Arts Council would find those to be something valuable within the context of, say, the, the kind of architecture structure of the award schemes. So getting those awards suggests that, you know, like Jennifer says, people in the, you know, people in architecture in Ireland think their questions worth asking.
2: Just to kind of maybe to tie some of the things together, I mean, one of the, and maybe not to elaborate too much, but one of the criticisms of this idea of emerging is that it is tied very often to youth and a stage of practice that's borne out by being, you know, mid-20s to mid-30s. Therefore, you can't possibly in architecture emerge at 50 or 55 if something happens or 40 or whatever. You start to get your... Uh, you start to get your, your kind of your, your your stuff together at that point. Um, and a lot of what you guys are talking about maybe is to do with stage of practice. And and back to this first point about ideas, I mean, all of you have, you know, you're not getting funded to, but within kind of, or awarded necessarily in these kind of structures for only a building. So it's not like an award scheme for a project that's completed. It's actually for a body of work and a set of let's use the word values or ideas that you're trying to evolve and push forward within your practice, which is quite difficult to do in a structure that is determined to employ you by commission. And so you've mentioned clients, clients want you to answer their brief and to provide them with something they need, which is totally fine. Um, But it's not always possible within those things to to test every ideas or to take time off in a sense, in the best sense to, to reflect on your work. So is it also to do with with stage because i think jen's point is interesting a couple of people have said that one of the challenges of being labeled an emerging architect is people think you're you're too inexperienced and not ready to do anything more complex than you're already doing now and it's going to you're going to have to wait your wait your time so maybe a question to all of you is, is are you ready to do other things or are you are you in this period of saying well i'm i'm headed somewhere i'm going to get there and now i'm emerging or, you know, does it, does it ever put doubts on things in your brain as well? I mean, I'm not trying to put you in a position where you're ungrateful for support that you've had. So it's a more widespread yeah. discussion about these labels that are placed on all I guess, architects. I, I guess it's Tom, like you had
1: your... the question that you're asking, in a way, maybe you're asking the wrong people, it's the gatekeepers ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who are so fond of quoting yeah. T.S. Eliot, and standing on the shoulders of giants, and whatever, or and like lads, drop the knee, let us up, like, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Think, <laughs> drop the ladder yeah. down. But I mean, I there's think architects that's happening. ahead of us who are still waiting for their opportunities Yeah, too, I think so, that's
0: um, happening. I think yeah, there is, yeah. I think we're here because those people are have placed us here. Um, so I think that is happening.
1: Well, I um, I'm not specifically talking about other architects. Yeah, um, outside of
0: architecture. Yeah,
1: I think there is yeah. a structure there that is very mm-hmm. risk averse. hmm and society generally is very risk averse I mean, it's uh, yeah. and the the metrics that allow for things to happen. Well, they're metrics, so it's very hard to put in, to, to like chances is tried, is eroded out of it. I mean, they try to anyway, I think, but like when you look at, if we go into the tendering thing, like the quality part of it, I mean, the quality is the pit that they can't put the metric on, isn't it? Yeah, so I wasn't swift to talk about other architects, but I think that that just generally the structures that allow for buildings to happen are not particularly interested in us, I don't think. No,
0: that's for sure. No question about that. (laughs) I think I think the thing about like what's your position in emerging, I think they're the same question in a different way. You're just you're moving in a direction. So I think what, like, going back to Jen's point earlier, like, emerging, like, I think I will always be emerging. I will always be moving somewhere. um I, because I, I really hope that I don't stop or that there's not something sustaining my practice, some thoughts that are sustaining my practice. I'm, like, in pursuit and discovering something, asking questions.
3: It's, it's as well something about, like, You know what Tom is talking about with um with the limits that are put on us as as young architects and everything, It, it it in our case, it definitely led to us specializing in this aspect of drawing in part. At the the larger reason for it was that we we had an interest in how can you make an architecture studio and a drawing studio and can those things exist side by side and they actually do need to exist side by side because clients don't pay us to make nice drawings of their buildings so they run in parallel as opposed to across each other but um, the other smaller but yet still existent part of the decision to set up uh, a studio that's multidisciplinary or looks in different directions was this thing of well, if we if we just do buildings, it's going to be forever before we actually start moving forward and getting or at least that's the, the fear when you're setting up a practice of God, am I going to do house extensions for 10 years before I can can move on to something else? And that's not degrading house extensions at all. <laughs> that's just the 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 desire or the wish to get to flex different muscles and do different types of work. So that 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 prescription or that that block. What, can, what that,
1: can you do in a public building that you can't do in an extension?
3: You can do more of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not that. It's the feeling. It's the feeling of being limited that I think frustrates me because I don't think I would be happy making the same drawings for my whole life. And and I guess there's also an impatience there of of yeah of how long does one do the same work for like we get we get bored with the same types of drawings very very quickly but all I meant by it was that the that that prescription or that um, that block in a way led us to then find another focus that we knew we could move forward with without any kind of resistance actually because it's the drawings are something that um don't have that massive infrastructure of control around them it's just we do them and more and more we get commissions for them and and we have a freedom within that that we don't have within the prescription of of larger built work and at the same time it limits us because the more we do that the less we move towards the direction of of commissioned built projects so it's yeah, it kind of impacts everything, I find.
2: On that question, Jen, fleshed out there with regard to moving from one position to another or one place in your practice to another. Do you think partly that's to do with this um, expectation somehow that's built within what you might be end up doing when you're 50, that you're actually destined to head from small work to big work? And that's the, that's the way in which you exercise those muscles. Like, what, what's wrong with constructing a practice if, as Norella says, you can continue to find um, desire and things that keep mm. you fascinated about your own work and practice? Mm. I mean, uh, wh- why is scale and moving to bigger things? I understand complexity. I understand new challenges. That's a human instinct. But Tom says you can find all you need maybe in some things. Why do you have to go to, you know, well, a hospital or something?
1: I suppose... What's meant for you won't pass you by, kind of thing. But um, I think it'll come. Like I think if you keep pushing something, it it it's can't be ignored. If people want it, they'll 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 come for it. Yeah, I mean, but if they don't want it, I'm not I'm not going to be forcing it down their throat. Like I'm not. I don't.
2: Yeah.
1: The the changes that have to happen for. Mm-hmm architecture to get a front seat again are are like there's massive structural changes required we'll follow we don't we don't lead i don't think we never did as architects so like all the environmental and the different like good things that are trying to come forth in the world they have to happen first i think and then there might be a re-looking at what kind of spaces all that stuff generates i don't know I'm not kind of. It's like I said earlier. I don't know. I don't like utopian thinking from the architect. Is kind of, I don't know. It's it's suspect or something. Mm. Like policy has to change first in a in a simple way.
0: Yeah, for me, I mean, I am not necessarily. I don't. I don't find extensions to excite me, but um, domestic work does, and. Um, I don't have any great desire right now to do work beyond it ever. Um, and that, you know, obviously will probably change, hopefully, having built some things. But I think there's a potential in domestic work to make place and uh, create a universe within it. And I I wonder if I my lifetime is ever different. Uh, but I wonder, is that me also completely having zero agency um, in terms of access to other work that isn't that and me just actually being quite positive and making the most out of the situation that I'm in, you know? Like, there was a, a really good lecture that um, James Hand from um Caruso St. John gave in Sol last week um, about facades and... I was sitting in Kerry, you know, in my home in a, an old school and looking out into fields. And I mean, what I think about architecture is usually internal, it's spatial and, and that's what interests me. And then we have the likes of a very big practice doing very big work and making places in a city. Um, a set piece in a very big urban context and that's a completely different kind of practice and and not internalized in the way that I'm thinking about my practice so I'm kind of happy where I am
3: I think the guys are totally right I think the the, the thing about let's say larger work or public work maybe is that d- domestic like the work we were bring a house on site next uh uh, next month and it's uh, like the most exciting thing we've ever done and that's domestic work I guess the thing is that it's for private clients and like I get so excited when I think of what like Tom or Andrew and Norella might be able to do when they get the chance to make work that actually impacts more people um, like how do you make as oh, this is yeah as many people's lives better or how do you how do you bring something to as many people as possible? and that's the thing that I'm that I'm that our that all of our positivities in the places that we are now I think should also allow for it in that like you know the, like the intelligence and the talent there is there to be given to a larger proportion of society than just a few people and that unfortunately res- like responds to then, bigger, because the buildings that are public are normally bigger, bigger buildings, because more people come into them. But, uh, but maybe it's not necessarily a question of scale. Actually, Uh, you can do like we did public work for Grange Gorman, that was a set of drawings, but that was, you know, as opposed to for one person who's getting the benefit of it, hopefully, there's like 500 people who are getting Mm -hmm. the benefit of that work.
2: Tom, you you said that you don't have I'm paraphrasing here, so but you that you it's perhaps not your job or responsibility to necessarily fix any challenge around or some challenges around access to work. And Norella, you, you maybe said you don't have any agency in changing that either.
1: I think I'm saying more that there's other problems to be fixed first,
2: yeah. But in terms of um, what we like, what architecture and architects, let's say, not architecture, but architects might do in order to communicate that, I mean, is there is there no burden of advocacy on you guys as emergency art, mm-hmm. you know, to put it back to you, say as emerging architects with this kind of potential yeah. platform, even in terms of, you know, I think you probably underestimate the influence you have on a whole bunch of mm. students in university mm. in Ireland who are looking to your work and talking about your work and pre- presenting your work to you know, as part of the conversation about how you activate, because most professions have mm. advocates, they have champions who are from within the profession Fighting for change—they're not waiting for it to happen. Um, I'm not well, saying you guys are, but I'm—I'm I'm just putting that some might level that criticism at architects that we don't get up and wave flags. I, so we don't all have to do I it. I
1: try but- and take that burden off my students a little bit. I, like I think there's only so much that buildings can do, and I've just seen so many theses now at this stage over the years where the um, intent is not conducive to making architecture i just i do i believe fairly strongly there's things that build, that architecture can do and that it can't do I, I'm, quite- I'm
2: sorry to interrupt i'm talking about architects not not projects or buildings right. it's like us as human beings <laughs> active in the world before we even sit down and draw in the morning or you know pick up the phone and answer the client's messages or whatever like how do we it there has to be some way that we can speak back to this
1: i mean it, it, a one-liner that I I do try and instill in the students that I get on with is is compassion um, and empathy um, and self expression. I mean, they do all come to architecture, I suppose, looking to yeah. Like, if we're honest, we do all want to reimagine the world. It's it's in it's inherent in it. But um, yeah, I, I think I I the, yeah, a lot of students like follow on Instagram or whatever, and you're conscious of what influence you actually have on them Uh, so but i don't really have any ready answers or prognoses as i said earlier it's it's just like try and encourage empathy and compassion i can uh, be sound (laughs) as as naive or whatever that might be
2: norella you wanted to come in
0: yeah, um, like, I, teaching is a very special place. It's kind of a sacred environment, you know, and whatever whatever frustrations I might have in practice, I kind of try to limit them in this special place. And I try and do what my teachers did for me when I was in college and inject people with maximum optimism. Um And... And expect better for them than what the reality of what might have, and instill a kind of belief in them, and um, because that's what they bring. The naivety is really important, and gotta kind of um, foster that. I suppose, like I, I suppose my my thing is is more what I want for myself, and it doesn't mean that I don't have ambitions for you know. Um, the, the the discipline of architecture beyond me um i'd agree with jen like we need to we need to be part of society we need we know we can do things better like that's the frustration is you know shit's happening and it's not happening as good as it could be um and that's disheartening and you <laughs> mean the likes of also you know there are people in the room who are doing work you know like yourself Emmett, you know you are a voice that is pushing these things towards something you know i i am really appreciative that you exist i can't do what you're doing but i really really support you um and the same with the likes of you know the we we can build better people like I am glad somebody is doing that and I support it as much as I can um, in whatever capacity I can and I talk about it in university. So, yeah, I think we can, we can, I, it's very disheartening when absolute international, amazing architectural talent are doing extensions. That is a problem. Um, it's not good enough really and we do need to do something about it. You know my selfish interest of what its spaces are, and you know me indulging myself. That's different from the much bigger picture. You know,
2: I think you point to, and a maybe Andrew, you'll have something to say about that that this point in a minute, but or at that point. But I think it points to a bigger thing about the way in which we keep reminding ourselves how many kinds of different people we need within architecture, actually. And there is no point in anyone advocating for changes in public relationship to architecture or, you know, supporting all kinds of architects from 25 to 95 to make a public building if they're not any good. So, you know, the architects aren't good. So there is also requires architects who are simply, and I don't think it's indulgent, actually, who are trying to explore the the world of their projects through the kind of highest quality. I think quality really comes back to it. Highest quality levels of thinking and action and methods and commitment. And all of you speak about wanting to kind of, you know, enrich the world in whatever means, if that's for one person or a million, it's, 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 it's that. So maybe it's also that conversation needs to expand that actually we the way things change is if we support and network and collaborate more collectively across a range of people with range of voices and expertise within the discipline.
4: Yeah, I mean, Emma, I think it's interesting what you said a while ago about as people first, as opposed to architects, and this is something um, Kate, Alice Yark, and I speak about all the time, you know, because whenever we were having a conversation about kind of issues around climate and biodiversity loss, we weren't, we weren't having those conversations as architects necessarily, we were having them as just people. And our question was, what can what can we or what could we do to somehow intervene in those questions or or to to find a way of practicing in some way that can contribute to, to resolving these issues. Whether or not it's through architecture or not. And I suppose I mean there's an interesting book which which was just released, which I don't you might be familiar with, called Architects After Architecture. And you know there, there is kind of an increasing desire to to find ways of you know Deploying architectural intelligence to kind of engage with much broader issues. And I think, kind of traditionally, you know, I mean, Charles Waltheim, who teaches in, in Harvard landscape architecture, you know, he, he talks a lot about kind of how architecture kind of has, has radicalized itself around its own autonomy. You know, it kind of very carefully polices the edges of what the scope of the discipline and the profession is and, and what architects can do. And maybe that's more, maybe that's not maybe that's reasonably new. I mean, because because he talks about how you know in the 1950s, urban design was was quite, you know, was kind of the beginning of of the urban design discipline in America. And kind of there was kind of a very clear, discrete separation of the discipline of architecture, landscape architecture, and urban design. And he's kind of advocating for those three things to come back together to kind of find ways of of if you want to call them spatial practitioners way that spatial practitioners could could think through these problems so I suppose what the, the conversation we're having in, in both on group at the moment is 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 kind of beyond buildings in a sense I mean we're not we're not kind of having the conversation with the intent of saying let's figure out how we can make buildings that are you know suitable for climate change because we don't really think that's an a useful question, in one sense. So, I mean, I think I think practices like, what's the name of the guys in in Goldsmith's um, forensic architecture? You know, a practice which is kind of borderline architecture. If you know, if if you know, if the edges of the discipline or the profession are policed as something which is primarily about building. And I suppose it is important to say that the profession. Is policed with respect to, to buildings because, you know, the RIAI and for all professional bodies you do your professional exams. Uh, I haven't done them, but uh, the other three are in other in the process or have, have completed them. Um, and you know, from from speaking to, the, to to the three of them, quite clearly, the assumed output of of you know the architect is is the creation the creation of buildings. And so, yeah, the conversation we're having is maybe what we're doing isn't limited to that, and maybe we can, yeah, Thomas spoke about kind of the idea of, of, you know, policy changing first and then architects coming later, but we don't really see it like that, I suppose. I mean, you know, we're interested in in practices, design practices like Forma Phantasma, uh, who are kind of an an Italian Dutch design practice that do really interesting projects. Um, They had a a really great project recently in um, the Serpentine Pavilion, sorry, in the Serpentine Gallery in London, which was kind of an exploration of the timber industry and working with a broad variety of different experts and individuals to think through how they could kind of create something which would provide a mechanism of informing policy. And like we, we have, at the moment, we're working quite closely with an ecologist, Matthew Wainhouse, who kind of, in the project we're doing, which is, I suppose it's a research project kind of thinking through kind of land and geopolitical struggles that are produced through the soil and the grass in Ireland and maybe that's much more towards what a landscape architect would do and I mean but, but Matt Wayne has the ecologist I mean, he really drives those conversations and he's central to them and so this is why we you know in one sense we don't talk about architecture as something which is the making of buildings and even at the moment we're trying to you know expand the conversation to include a really interesting person who I met through some um, kind of policy working group stuff that I do with the Green Party, Aoife Franklin who did a master's in environmental policy at UCD and she spent three years in Afghanistan with the uh, United Nations Food Programme and she She did her her, uh, thesis, she did her dissertation in, in UCD, on sustainable Irish food systems. And she sort of spoke about how there's this need for this individual in that particular conversation who is a mediating voice between a kind of a broad variety of different stakeholders. And she said that she had worked with a landscape architect in Afghanistan at the United Nations Food Programme. And so the person she had kind of envisioned for that position was a landscape architect which I thought was the most amazing thing because it kind of, you know, totally changes how you think about the design discipline or the design profession. I mean, the discipline, I suppose, because um, I'm not saying that as someone who's educated in architecture that I can co-opt, you know, the kind of competencies of a landscape architect, but I think there's always the possibility of moving in that direction. So expanding the scope of what architects can do in terms of, Using our design intelligence to actually actively inform policy is is central to the conversations that that we are that we are having.
1: Fair point. I'd take that definitely. and um, yeah. I mean, I'd concede on what I was saying there. You're, you're spot on. But <laughs> um,
0: well, you are talking about what you're interested in, Tom, as well. Like, you
1: yeah. Know. And I, I suppose I. It's like we have maybe we have to come up with another name for it. I mean, I I I still come back always. To, I mean, what I, I make space like it's a it's a very direct relationship with a very old idea of architecture, I guess. Um, and when you're, I I don't know. I kind of think there are different things that architecture still is for me. That thing and then, but that doesn't mean that our skills aren't transferable into. And I was trying to think of what it is that, that is there that allows for us to be good candidates for those positions. Then it's maybe that we can kind of put a shape on structures or represent them. And, and, and I suppose like spaces ultimately, but um, so yeah, I suppose I'm, I'm kind of conceding to your point, but I'm trying to hold myself,
4: <laughs> hold my own in it as well. Um, I think in one sense, I mean, Caesar sort of sp- spoke about the, the kind of mediatory role of the architect. And, you know, he, he said that he saw the strength of architects as kind of that capacity to mediate a kind of a broad variety of different concerns into, into in that w- w- with respect to buildings, into kind of a spatial solution. I mean, it could be a spatial solution and it's, and it's not buildings. But I think in architecture schools at the moment, there's definitely a sort of there's this tension where, you know, there's there's lots of different kind of, depending on the interests of the students. I think there's probably an increasing interest in terms of moving towards engaging with questions that are perhaps beyond the scale of the building or beyond the making of buildings. Um, and there's this real difficulty because it's kind of like how do you, how do you provide them with the kind of competency to ask those questions? And I suppose the conversation we have a lot of is that maybe maybe landscape architects aren't taken seriously enough in Ireland. um, you know, as, as a design discipline, you know, it kind of encompasses a very broad set of particular competencies from ecology to soil quality to, you know, the ability to kind of think through visual culture and we think it kind of you know, maybe positioning the relevance of, of, of the discipline of landscape architecture since, you know, in one sense, we're so used to rigid taxonomies in terms of landscape architecture, architecture, urban design. Maybe if that was kind of centered more in the conversation um, or made available in architecture schools, uh, that could, you know, that that could kind of um, maybe broaden the scope a bit more easily, comfortable.
0: I don't, I don't see, like, I don't see that much any great difference between what we do do and landscape architects. I think it's just spatial and, you know, it's made with different things and then you need to learn about those things. But I think it it's ultimately spatial, you know? Um, I think there's other aspects, like... It's funny, um, Andrew, you mentioning the RAI and part threes and like that's that whole system is largely wrapped around, you know, professional indemnity and liability, really, you know. But it doesn't really measure any of the things that we're talking about. It measures a sense of professionalism and risk and liability, doesn't it? Rather than all the complexity of the things that it is we're kind of really talking about.
2: I mean, it would seem to me that one of the, one of the, maybe the things we're talking a little bit about is, is not being in silos um, and not which, I mean, Connor Serenin was on the podcast talking very kind of carefully about that, about the risk emerges when also people go are risk averse, culture emerges when people are placed in silos. So I am an architect, you're a landscape architect, and this is what, you know. So mm-hmm. I think that that's a, definitely a, an interesting question to sort mm-hmm. of take apart and put back together again. But then the other one in terms of, let's say, on my screen, Tom is there at the top and Andrew's at the bottom, are are they kind of different points that are being made about practice? And I would say absolutely not. I mean, do, does one imagine a world without buildings? I mean. No, and does does. But that's a good. That's no, it's great, and just does. does, I do (laughs) well. No, I can't. I can't see it in our in our lifetime. Really, we need places to live and and things to exist in, and even if that's reworking things or whatever, we do need architects immersed in the culture. And construction and thinking and histories and projection of architecture and and defending that position through great work and i, I used to think opposite i used to think no we have too much of that but actually mm-hmm. the more you start thinking about how do you unpack and, un- and tackle the biases against offering con- certain kinds of work to certain kind of practices or the strive towards quality mm-hmm. you really have to support that work and and push mm-hmm. and nurture people to and finance mm-hmm. them to, to to get better even but then you do also, we also need to accept that that's not in opposition to, it's in parallel mm-hmm. with other forms of, of spatial practice or spatial mm-hmm. thinking. And maybe one of our, our kind of um, hopes as we move forward as a kind of collective is that we, we embrace more of that and we don't feel threatened by or endangered by or actually feel that what we're doing is old. It's, we still need to make the world out of stuff out of material and we still need great rooms and we still need great places to be people i think you know we we just do and i, I don't think that's changing jen
3: and we need the the as multiple uh, selection of views as possible on it like we absolutely need people who are focusing on x versus y and and i guess the the, the one thing that ties ties everyone together is this notion of care that you know that like our education and our privilege and and support and all that comes out again in an idea about care about the world care about the people that inhabit the world about the places that are made and that sounds I don't mean for that to sound trite but um for me at least it's kind of key to it that that if you have these education and these skills and the support Surely the task is then to make people's lives a bit better. And the only way we know how to do that is through architecture. So be that architecture by communication or architecture by policy or architecture by building. Like shelter is one of the most fundamental things that human beings need. So I don't know where I'm going with that, but I think the the, the multitude of positions is what what one needs in order for it to stay, I guess, current and uh in order for us to be able to bounce these things off each other because I think we all do have very different positions on, on what we think architecture is and what how we go forward with it but because it's so it has such a multiplicity in itself the industry needs to react to that that's a long-winded way of saying I, I would be interested in seeing architects moving into different areas of of how to talk about and discuss and practice architecture I think building is the thing that we we all, most of us, strive to do because it's the one that has the most impact because it's spatial and humans live in buildings most of the time to survive. But I think we do pigeonhole ourselves a little bit in in terms of all the other skills we have, one of them being communicating. We're really good at communicating in loads of different forms and ways. And, and one of the ways that that leads back again to uh, I think a lot of the work that all of us do is communicating with the with the public and just finding a way to show that architecture is relevant.
2: I agree, Jen. Each of you have talked about this notion of of acting with care or generosity or um, being sound, as Tom really nicely called it,
0: or in integrity.
2: Integrity, yeah, yeah that that good with integrity. Each of you has placed your work in the public domain. I mean, I don't mean it's a public building necessarily. What I mean is you've placed it either for exhibition or out on the street, or you've placed it in the domain where a public, be they a family or whatever, have started to occupy and use the thing um, that you've designed and made, or you've made some installational work. Can you maybe talk a little bit about how that placing and that offering out while maybe meeting a need or a commission is also placing your work out in, in the world to be assessed and interrogated and questioned and enjoyed and what you guys learn from that process and from your observations of that or from feedback and maybe touch a little bit of question on this notion of criticism and how you how you manage or sometimes desire that i guess in the in the best most constructive sense to to support your work and keep it going
4: uh, that's a, that's probably the hardest question so far yeah, like you just never know how people are going <laughs> to respond. And I me, mean, I remember with the installation in in Loch Ray, we were standing beside it one day, and and someone came along and said, "When the hell is that ice going to going to be away from here?" And we were like, "Well, <laughs> we're like three more weeks." And, but <laughs> we actually designed it. But then weirdly, like when 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 we had explained it to the person, whether just through politeness or or through actual it making sense or something you know they kind of were like okay I I get it but for that particular project I suppose it was the internal critique from ourselves which I mean I suppose there's four of us so in that sense there's kind of a a very particular intensity of critique which you know amongst four people you can kind of you can kind of generate you know I I had been talking to someone about um outside of the group about the work of Oliver Lyson recently, actually, and and they they were noticing their criticism of of his work because it somehow, um, and in terms of because of our own interests, it it kind of creates a a very clear binary between nature and society. And in that sense, he kind of makes a a spectacle of nature as, as opposed to somehow you know, resolving that kind of dualistic kind of complexity. And so it was amongst ourselves then, you know, we kind of critiqued the fact whether or not the installation we had made did the exact same thing. And, you know, because the intention with the intention with that project was to work with the existing community in, in Loch Ray to create a conversation with with the with local stakeholders uh, and with the local ecologists to create some sort of a kind of opportunities for, for pollinators in the local area. Like a, a pretty simple idea, but something which is quite difficult to, to practically create. Um, and actually, there's you know, as we began to work with the community, gradually we realized actually that there was a lot of local pushback. Uh, and some people kind of believe biodiversity was kind of vermin or something. And so we were kind of asking, how do you create spatial opportunities in the Town Lock Ray? which kind of can accommodate both human and non-humans. And, and COVID kind of got in the way of, of some of that. But the intention of that project was, wasn't to leave with just the production of an object. Um, and so I suppose that project's over now, but you know, we're, we're, still, we're still critiquing it like a few months down the road, uh, which, is, which is incredibly useful for, for our work going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't, like, I don't, apart from, in terms of criticism, I, the people, I'm very, very fortunate with the people that I have around me in terms of, like, physically share space with them in that they have very, they're very great architects and they have exceptional judgment. And so the conversations that come about while practicing, the standards are very high. And I have a lot to thank those people for, um, both in teaching and uh, other people in practice around me. They keep you accountable. Um, But there's no, I mean, there's a sheer criticism of maybe what we're collectively pursuing maybe and maintaining those standards and not not letting anybody fall overboard a little bit. So that's very, very helpful. Then there is criticism like then there, there isn't really criticism beyond that. Um, I, in, for, for Venice, there was a couple of articles that were very, they were very complimentary. And those that was nice, but not helpful for me. Whereas there's one, there was one article by uh, Aaron Betsky, which described my installation as ham-fisted. And I found that very, like at first really shocking, like, like at first really super complimentary that he'd even bothered to mention me. And then kind of shocking and my heart kind of sank a little bit, kind of going Jesus. And then thinking about it, that it was actually really helpful that somebody, even though he's fairly typically contrary character, that he would offer such kind of over criticism as that is really helpful for me. but I would have liked to have more had a, a chance to mm. have a conversation about it rather than it being commented on without without that. And then other cri- the criticism which I find most difficult is people outside of architecture and the people people like my mother, for instance, when I ask my mother what does she think uh, and and all of a sudden you're in a situation where communication doesn't work anymore. And I'm kind of feel like I can't actually communicate outside of the discipline of architecture. And then you're open to the serious criticism really quickly. Yeah, I, I find that one most difficult because um, we're kind of misunderstood generally at large, I think. And it has to be kind of what you're doing or what you're trying to achieve has to be proven. And then in hindsight, it's easier to kind of comment on how lovely it is. but but it's more difficult prior to a thing existing to convince somebody that it's, you know. So I would really welcome more, I would really, really welcome more honest criticism outside of our own, outside of ourselves. And um, I would really, I would find that really refreshing. And, and maybe it needs to come outside of Ireland. Everyone's yeah. a bit careful to kind of, I, I'd happily hear what someone has to say about what they think about me, I don't. I don't know what I what anyone could think about me. I haven't really produced any work, so. Um, uh, but it would be nice to to hear, you know, outside of ourselves, yeah, be helpful. Yeah,
3: I mean, there's there's two parts to the question, right? There's the kind of putting your work out into the public, and then and then how do you, how do you deal with criticism? And the the public part of it in the in the earlier projects that we did was interesting because it's that's the whole reason that we exist as a practice now is that is a chain of events of putting things into the public realm someone being interested in that being a catalyst for the next thing so we you know we we presented some drawings at the at the irish embassy in berlin where sean, sean casan from imma happened to be a judge who then invited us to be in a show in Emma, at the same time that we were making the Grange Gorman drawings, and that all kicked off into other things. So for us, putting if we hadn't put our drawing work out there, we would be nowhere right now. We're, we're because that work is so fundamentally tied to conversation with other people, and increasingly with the public. So there's that side of things of with the with the drawings. At least we have to continuously put the work out there. Um, to come interaction with people. Otherwise, otherwise, we're what are we doing? We're making, you know, pretty drawings for, for to hang on walls. The idea of criticism. Um, I mean, I think in an architecture context, we would have always taken criticism really well. And being in this kind of amoeba bubble of emerging at the moment, we need as much criticism as possible. I think to to help us figure out. Uh, where we, where and if we emerge, where it's been a total game changer has been those projects where we engage more and more with the public. So, um, with the with the Magdalene Laundry project on Sean McDermott Street that we're doing at the moment, that is a process of continual cons- uh, conversation and consultation with survivors and the and the local community, where the feedback is quite often. Uh, negative, uh, where we are kind of ripped out of this architecture bubble that's quite like comfortable and soothing, and uh, asked to face the reality of of architecture as it pertains to to people like survivors or to that community on Sean McDermott Street or in any scenario like that. So that's that's a different thing. That's really having to strip yourself of the naivety that helps in another context. Uh, and get really real about how, how, or about the fact that you need to be so careful about how what you do impacts other people's lives. And that comes from kind of quite strong criticism and feedback and, and wake up calls, actually. So this, the naivety is needed in one sense for creativity, but the criticism from other people outside of architects is really. Necessary and for grounding, <laughs> and for making sure that, that that the approach is is a positive one, is valid, and isn't going to do any harm. It's tough <laughs> to get it, but it's actually really necessary. Otherwise, it's just kind of spoofing.
2: Yeah.
1: And Tom, um, I just I, <laughs> I just want people to understand me. <laughs> I don't know like I I I love life and I love the world and I wish everyone like could just like cop on <laughs> and like, do it my way. <laughs> That's really glib and silly but uh there's a grain of truth to that. Like I I think there's there's great beauty in the world that I've been preoccupied on with all my life and I want everyone to just fucking get on with it and <laughs> get living <laughs> that's uh, i don't know that's probably bullshit but anyway it's true i think
3: <laughs> i said one thing yeah because it's been bugging me the whole time um the uh when tom asked what's wrong with domestic work and i said it's bigger like more but bigger that that is the wrong answer <laughs> on my point and it's been <laughs> nagging me the whole time i think what would be really cool is if public work wasn't just big buildings, like if public work can be like, for example, what we got a drawing project or consultations Mm -hmm. around a site or a pavilion, or I don't know what, but that. An extension. (laughs) yeah, 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 sure. A public extension, but we, yeah, we understood that conversation at the beginning of all of this about being something around making like, universities or Um, you know hsc buildings or something and yeah exactly whereas actually maybe the answer is more public could be more like multiplied than it is right now if that makes sense it's not just uh, can we can we all please do big buildings because i don't think all of us actually want to do big buildings but i think there is a concern to do work that impacts people and that isn't maybe always funded privately yeah
0: I mean I mean on on that note in terms of you know public I would I would be seriously interested in doing a garden like that would be that would be a massive ambition to 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 make external spaces make a garden gardens um that that would be a, you know a scale of public that would seriously appeal like if that was possible
3: yeah and why shouldn't it be you know the, it can be also be public on the scale of a you know a, a room for for I don't know for a body who needs a new library space or whatever but that uh, what that um we are pigeonholed as well when our our approach to public work or a way of seeing public work is big big buildings um when surely it can be far much more than just making really big buildings or so there's surely there's There are loads of different scales of contracts and scales of work that that we could access and that we could work on that have nothing to do with that holy grail of reaching, you know, a 10,000 square meter building somewhere.
1: I mean, we just about touched on it there a little while ago. And I I, I do think we have to also entertain the thought of stopping. Uh, Like as architects, we keep just it's not in our nature to to not produce. And, you know, when we talk about descaling, and like, I'm, I'm like the whole public building thing is, is really fraught with beyond the, the kind of policy and the governmental thing. It's like super entwined with a, a, a kind of an anti-human form of capitalism in my view. And so like, if, like, I don't think I'd fare very well working in that world and keeping small is kind of okay or not, not like we don't have to, like, it's, our, it's with, like, if we want to do public, warren, public buildings, we could make a phone call tomorrow morning and collaborate with someone. You know, so it's kind of a myth that we're all being blocked. No way. There's also a, well for myself anyway, there's also a, a, a doubt as to whether it's the right way to go. I mean, like, what the hell is Like, there's so many questions in it, but like, I mean, the whole idea of public is... problematic.
2: (laughs) That conversation raises so many points that need further discussion. And of course, we need to spend more time digging into the bog landscape of practice, as Norella called it, just to know more about how architects think, act, make decisions. Because what is clear to me is that each of these four have a lot in common. Yet each has a distinct take on what they want to do with their interests, skills and capacity in architecture. And they clearly all need support to do that too. I also think the discussion around scale of work is in fact linked to the notion of procurement and to Tom's last point about at some time architects may have to stop producing. Architecture as a profession seems locked into growth culture. So if you do not operate a model of practice which plans to grow and grow and grow, to employ more people, take a bigger office... You're not able to get work beyond a certain scale because the system of commissioning also known as procurement wants to see a growth as a priority in your office so no matter what your experience or scale or how high quality your buildings are or how many awards you win if there are two or four or six or eight of you you'll be capped and you will stop expanding creatively because you somehow cannot be trusted whereas in fact and in practice Large offices tend to break down building projects into teams anyway, so you usually only have six to eight on a large public building and not an office of a hundred. So it is in many ways just nonsense that a team in a large office is automatically better than a team of eight in some other practice structure. Perhaps that's an oversimplification, but it is also a little bit true. Thanks for listening this week. I would appreciate it if you rated the podcast on iTunes and if you shared it far and wide. The music you heard at the start and at the end is by Sinead Finnegan, recorded live in Trinity Chapel some summers ago, and it's played by the Delmain String Quartet. Until next time, stay safe.